Welcome back, everybody, to the episode of the JSD with Podcast, part of the Off the Ball Network. This is episode 213, dedicated to a man who on July 20th, 1976, hit his 755th home run, Mr. Hank Aaron. And as always, thank you for listening and downloading another episode of the podcast. On today's episode, we talk a little bit about the alley oop that happened at the end of game number five. Some former Buckeye football players have a request for the NC2A, and we have some possible names for the Washington football team. But first, one thing I always strive to do, no matter if it's this podcast or if I'm a guest on a show or wherever I may be talking about sports, I always want to enter the conversation or start the show off with something positive. Now I know sometimes it cannot happen, but I always want to start things off positive. You get on the social media, you get on the internet, you turn on the television, and unfortunately, a lot of sports, there's a lot of negative stuff that leads off numerous shows. You want to be positive. I want to be positive because there's so much negative stuff out there. If you want to come here, I don't want you to come here and hear something negative. I want you to come here and hear something positive. With that in mind, that cannot happen today. Richard Sherman had a little incident about a week ago uh, at home, him and his wife, and there's some other family family members there as well. Via the 911 call, I heard, I believe his wife was calling when the police officer, excuse me, the dispatcher was talking to his wife. The dispatcher asked his wife, had he had anything to drink? And the young lady said, don't know her name, but the young lady said two bottles. Now I'm thinking two bottles. I'm thinking, that's, that's a lot of alcohol. Now what was he drinking? Now you know, some, sometimes you hear something and one alcohol hits different than another and all those kinds of things. Well, I... So I am thinking and waiting, anticipating and trying to figure out and hear what exactly it is when the dispatcher asked, what was he drinking? The young lady, his wife stated, vodka and Hennessy. Yeah, let that sink in for you. So he had vodka and Hennessy in his system, a little liquid courage, was already struggling with some things as he states in a statement that I'm going to read to you here in a second. And via some things that he has been struggling with, This is what is next. He has gone to the liquid courage. He has gone to the bottle, two of them, and inflicting violence on other people. Ultimately, via the 911 call, they thought that he was suicidal. And Richard Sherman put out a statement. He's still alive. He has not passed away. He is still here with us. And I surely hope Richard Sherman is getting the help that he needs. I don't know what's going on with him and his family. I don't know exactly what's going on with him and his mind or his brain. I don't know any of that. But one thing this reminds me is that athletes are human. Too many times, way too many times, people put athletes up on a pedestal and think they can't do no wrong. They can't harm anybody. They're just an individual just like you and I that is going to be A-OK in any situation. I want to just help everybody remind you, they're human just like us. And Richard Sherman's statement He makes it very, very clear that he's a human just like you and I. Quote, I am deeply remorseful for my actions on Tuesday night. I behaved in a manner 
I am not proud of. I have been dealing with some personal challenges over the last several months, but this is not an excuse for how I acted. The importance of mental and emotional health is extremely real, and I vow to get the help I need. I appreciate all the people who have reached out in support of me and my family, including our community here in Seattle. I am grateful to have such an amazing wife, family, and support system to lean on during this time and quote, not only is this a reminder for us that athletes are human, but also he needs help. And I sure hope if there's any athlete listening to this right now, no matter if you're a youngster, no matter if you're in high school, no matter if you're in college, professional, semi-pro, professional, semi-pro in America, in the States, or overseas, I surely hope, surely hope everybody realizes they are human and they have the same struggles Everybody else has with their mentals. Now, you may say financially, they might not have the same struggles. That's perfectly fine. Money doesn't solve problems. A lot of times, money brings on more problems. I think athletes sometimes think, oh, I'm above the law. I am such and such. No, you're human just like everybody else. And if I put the liquid courage in me or Richard Sherman does the same thing, you can expect some abnormal behavior from both parties because that liquid courage is in our system athletes are human they're normal just like you and i they are susceptible there we go to the same type of wrongdoings and same type of uh harsh interactions when we do things that are not right treat people right i mean i understand you struggle with things but always vow and always do something in our head to do things right because i don't want you i surely don't hope you don't want anybody else to go and have a situation like what happened with richard sherman a week uh, go. Let's go ahead and take a trip to Phoenix, Arizona, the site of Game 5 in the NBA Finals because that alley-oop from Drew Holiday to Giannis Antetokounmpo was heard all around the world. Okay, y'all, look. Basketball is my thing. I like watching basketball. Many of you know that the NBA basketball trajectory as far as how many people, including myself, have watched it. It's gone down over the past few years. I'm not going to deny that. But this series, this series right here, yeah, buddy, this thing has been fun. From the Giannis block to everything that went down during Game 5 to the big lead that the Suns got out, Booker goes out in the second quarter, Giannis goes out in the second quarter, all of a sudden, the Bucks start climbing back, the Bucks start fighting back. All of a sudden, the Bucks get the lead. And by the six-minute mark in the third quarter, Jay Stevens himself stated to himself, yes, I didn't tweet it out, just had the thought in my head, this game's over. It didn't seem like the Bucks had enough to overcome what the Bucks had. The Bucks are too big, they're too strong. I understand you look at, some people look on the TV and you see, oh, well, Drew Holiday, he's not that big. Or Chris Middleton, he's not that long. Um, okay, excuse me, timeout. Um, that may be true for the TV, but from what my eyes tell me, Drew Holiday is giving people fit on the defensive end. I mean, him on defense, no matter if he's guarding Booker or if he's guarding Chris Paul, he is giving these guys fits, which makes that final play, that steal we're going to talk about here in a second, so much more important because he was kind of the help side defender. P.J. Tucker was about to get beat by Booker. Holiday rolled, did exactly what he was supposed to do, got the steal, goes the other way, throws that thing up, and he just heard, as he stated, I just heard Giannis yelling. I threw the ball up, and Giannis went up there and got it. And that play will be one of those plays. That play might actually overshadow that Giannis Antetokounmpo block 
from, I was it game three? It was either game three or game four. I believe it was game three where the alley-oop went up. Giannis's back was to DeAndre Ayton. He goes up and blocks it, a clean block of Ayton. And people started comparing that block automatically. It didn't take long to compare that block to the one LeBron James had, I believe, during the 2016 NBA Finals, Cavs versus Warriors Part 2 of four we all remember that block but i truly think that Giannis block when you keep in mind keep it in context Giannis's knee went backwards in the last series went backwards and he's here playing this way really ha has a really good shot of being finals mvp if the bucks end up winning this series bucks are at home tonight in game number six I think the Bucs can do it. I don't know. Do I, I didn't really know. I don't know if the Suns will actually have enough to win on the road. But then again, crazier things have happened. Wouldn't it be amazing in back-to-back -back games for the first time in the series, game five and game six, the road team wins, goes to a game number seven. That would be amazing. We all love game sevens in sports in this series right here. Ooh, the NBA would love a game seven. And no, I'm not saying it's rigged. I am not somebody like that. But a fan in me, a fan in you, a fan for every person that is watching the NBA, no matter if it's casual or, you're been, or you've been all in all season, everyone loves a Game 7. And one more game and a phenomenal series is amazing. But that play, that alley-oop, when you think about this maybe 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, that's going to be one of those plays that you're going to tell to your youngster. You're going to be at the barbershop when you're 60 years old, and they're going to be talking about, oh, that alley-oop, that dunk, that Drew Holiday steal to the oop to Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's going to be one of those plays that will be talked about for a very, 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 very long time. 1980 NBA Finals. You know how many people still talk about that Magic Johnson baby hook, baby sky hook? A lot of people. Magic Johnson plays center, not his normal position, but when Kareem was out, Magic had to go to that center position, that baby sky hook in the game. What? That's a big play. Let's keep going now. Think about the finals. I forget if it was 89 or 90, but it was against the Lakers when Isaiah Thomas had a bum ankle, and I think he had like 20 points in the fourth quarter or something stupid on a bum ankle. I mean, like... You don't talk, I mean, these are things you talk about for years and years and years and years after the play actually happened. The 91 finals, we all talk about Michael Jordan when he went up with one hand, switched hands in midair to go to the other hand. And I've heard people say, Mike didn't have to do that. And they're right, he did not. But it's Michael Jordan. I'm very appreciative that he did, simply because it made that play so much better. I've actually played 2K with Michael Jordan. And there are times in 2K they actually make Michael or they have Michael do some of those things he did in midair when you don't need those things to happen. Sometimes it's, it's, it's led to a block because it lets the defender recover. They were going to get beat automatically, and then when you allow them to recover, the next thing you know it's a block. And I'm sitting here thinking, why in the world is the computer doing this? Why in the world is the system doing this well? They're just trying to imitate and replicate what Michael Jordan did when he was playing the basketball. So be it. Let's go a little bit further. The year 2000. Now, yes, I could talk about the John Paxson shot that he made. I believe was during the 90. I think it was. I think that was during the 92 finals. You could talk about Michael Jordan when he hit all those threes and hit that Jordan that that shoulder shrug in the 92 finals against the Blazers. You could talk about how 
Michael Jordan averaged 40 points in the yes, 40 points in the finals. I want to say that was during the 92 season. You could talk about how Steve Kerr hit that shot during the 97 finals. You could talk about Michael Jordan, the jump shot where some say he pushed off on Byron Russell. I'm not going to get into that debate, but some say Mike pushed off. So be it. You can also talk about there's so many plays. You talk about years after Kobe to Shaq. I remember Bob Costas calling that, calling that, and I'm like, oh my goodness, Bob Costas, you are amazing. I've always loved you as a broadcaster, and the fact that he got the chance to be the number one man at NBC when there were some legal issues with Mr. Marv Albert, which he ultimately pled guilty to. It's amazing when your number when the number two guy would be number one at any other network on any other sport, but <laughs> it's Marv Albert, and he is literally the voice of basketball. But that Kobe Tushak play, so many other plays that have gone on in NBA history that in the finals, these moments, this is what we live for. For a very long time, people will talk about not just that LeBron block in those finals, but also talk about that Kyrie Irving shot over Stephen Curry during that same finals as well. That Ray Allen shot during the 2013 finals, which really it was helping. It was Chris Bosh who found Ray Allen in the corner, got the rebound, found Chris Bosh. LeBron missed the three prior to that. And I got to give great court awareness appreciation to Mr. Ray Allen because Ray Allen was the one in that corner didn't travel and I've watched that play numerous times thinking he traveled like everybody else and I, I remembered he's not of this school he's from the older school not old old school but older school to where the footwork the traveling wasn't as prevalent as it is today 2013 finals we'll be talking about that for a while for, for a very, very, very long time. I skipped over numerous years, didn't have time to go through all of them. But that Drew Holiday to Giannis, seeing Drew Holiday and how he had just been a defensive stopper or slower downer, let's go ahead and put it that way. He's been slowing, he's been slowing down the attack of the defense. And Drew Holiday said, Hey, look, I know who you are, I know how good you are. But I have a plan for how this is going to go. And you know what else is going to happen? I'm going to steal this ball. I'm going to go down. They were only up by one point. The score, 120 to 119. He goes down three point, calm, cool, collected. Coach Bud did not call the timeout. Actually, it escapes me right now if he even had a timeout left. But I believe he did. Didn't call a timeout. Trusted his players. And Drew Holiday goes down. He hear, all he did was he heard Giannis yelling. Giannis goes up. Chris Paul fouls Giannis, which honestly, I think it was a good foul. Uh, dangerous when you're when it's a guy like that flying that long. But it's a, it's a good it's a good foul. You try to do anything to derail that from happening. If you go 120 to 119, if Giannis, do, if they throw the ball, it's a foul. Miss the shot. You get two free throws. There's a good chance Giannis goes one for two from the line. 121-119 is a whole lot better to overcome the deficit, and it's easy, easily done in one possession than if you are 123-119 to because you need a three. Hopefully, it's a four-point play. Not likely. And you'll need a stop. And it just takes a whole lot, more, whole lot longer to actually be able to do that. Drew Holiday has got a lot of attention for his defense. And on that play, the sequence, his defense was put on front street. But also, I think we got to give Drew Holiday some more credit for his court awareness, his calm nature late in a late game situation, 
didn't let the pressure get to him. The lot, well, pressure is something that is something that's put on you, not something that is natural. And you know what? It happened. I say it's not a natural thing because I could be sitting here. It's kind of a, it's something you feel. I could be sitting here at my computer, quiet, and I could feel pressure for no reason. Nothing happened. Nothing changed, but there could be pressure. Late game situation, some players feel pressured. Some are not calm. Drew Holiday stayed calm. Heard the voice of the man that is a leader of that team. Giannis goes up, two hands. Chris Paul, push. His hands are at his waist, foul. And I'm still amazed. LeBron sitting courtside. And that man was as calm as he was. I don't know how a player of LeBron's stature that has seen all the basketball, played all the basketball, has numerous rings, could stay as calm as he did during that situation. Now he's six foot eight to 60. I understand if you don't want to get up and interfere with the view of others, but I've seen LeBron courtside. He don't care about interviewing the, 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 uh, the, uh, the um view of others and i i really don't blame him you're at the game you want to enjoy it and if i'm lebron i'm getting up i'm showing excitement because that's a play we'll be talking about for a very long time as soon as the nil legislation went into effect name image and likeness it was very very clear by a statement put out by reggie bush that he wanted his Heisman back. The interesting thing that I find about this whole situation is that the NCAA does not govern, is not the overall voice for college football. It is ran by the conferences and then the bowl committees put that thing on. The conferences end up owning and running the college football playoff playoff and the national championship game so there is no NCAA anything going on with the college football as far as the games and things like that if you look at the national championship games or just any game out there you won't see any NCAA branding because well NCAA is not the overall voice or governing body or they are not the people ruling the football at the college level and so whenever anytime I hear about somebody losing stats, somebody losing trophies, somebody losing awards in college football. Now, this is the FBS level. D1, AA, or FCS on down to the D2 and D3, that is ran by the NCAA, which is why you'll find NCAA branding there on the field. You'll find the NCAA is running the playoff and the tournament that they do at the end of the season, and they do a phenomenal job of that every single year. But when it comes to the FBS level, it's always been a tricky thing. The college football broke off of the NCAA years, and at least 50, 60 years ago. And now what we're finding is, what well, people say we need to decentralize the NCAA, but we also need somebody to run the, run the sport for college football and just collegiate sports as a whole, which is a very contradictory statement. If you don't like the NCAA, but they can be revamped and fixed, but you also want to decentralize them but still has somebody that wants to run over every rule over everything. Something does not sit well with me there. So the NCAA does have a problem where they are taking things away at a level and with the sport that they shouldn't have the power to with Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush made a statement and all of a sudden the Heisman trust who gives out the Heisman trophy. They said, well, if the NCAA allows it, we'll give back your trophy. How crazy is that? And idiotic is that? Well, if somebody that doesn't have anything to do with us gives allows us to do something that we took away, well, they took away and we took it, well, we took away, all of a sudden we'll do that. 
So the NCAA, who doesn't give out the Heisman, they're controlling the company that gives out the Heisman because the company that gives out the Heisman will not give back the Heisman until the NCAA, who does not have anything, anything to do with the Heisman, says they can. Help me make sense with that. Because what's been going on lately is a whole lot of nonsense and things don't make sense. You know what else doesn't make sense? Terrell Pryor and four other Ohio State, former Ohio State football players, their names are Terrell Pryor, DeVere Posey, Solomon Thomas, Mike Adams, and Daniel Boom Heron. They are the Tattoo Five. You all may remember Tattoo Gate from the 2010 football season where they exchanged memorabilia, really gold pants. You, at Ohio State, you get gold pants for beating the team up north or Michigan anytime you played them in a season. Well, they said, hey, how about we exchange some of our memorabilia that we got from Ohio State for some tattoos exchange for tattoos, violating an NCAA violation, an NCAA rule, and the NCAA took away records from them. The weird thing about this season, NCAA makes a lot of weird decisions. The NCAA says you guys are suspended, but you can still play in the in the bowl game in the Sugar Bowl. That didn't make sense to me then. It doesn't make sense to me now. Well, these five men, Pryor, Posey, Thomas, Adams, and Heron, put out a statement via their social media accounts Stating what their request is for the NCAA, here's what they said and sent to the NC2A. Quote, The affirmation of NCAA athletes' right to make a living from their name, image, and likeness is a huge step in the right direction. Armed with the correct resources and support, we know they'll show what we felt to be true all along not letting athletes capitalize on what ultimately is their hard work was just unjust and unnecessary. Now that fundamental right has been granted to a new generation of athletes, now that they finally have the freedom to share in some of the millions of dollars in revenue they generate for their coaches, their institutions, their con their conferences, and the NCAA as a whole, we would like to see our hard-won accomplishments reinstated. Although, this could never undo what we and our families endured for breaking rules that shouldn't have existed in the first place, we believe reinstating and acknowledging the accomplishments of ourselves and our teammates would be a huge step in the right direction. The 2010 Ohio State football team earned a 12-1 record, won a Big Ten championship, won a Sugar Bowl, Produced a top five career all-time passer, Terrell Pryor, a top five career all-time receiver, Devere Posey, a top two career all-time rusher, Daniel Boom Heron, and an All-American Mike Adams, all for it to be wiped unceremoniously from the record books. We are calling for our school records and legacy to be restored so that Buckeye Nation can look at us with the same love and fondness that we've always had for them. We look forward to one day telling our story in the Tattoo 5 forever being a legitimate part of the Ohio State's, of Ohio State's glorious history, end quote. Here's a weird thing I think Terrell Pryor and the gentleman and the NCAA got wrong. Let's start with the NCAA first. Well, I already kind of went off on them, but yeah, you take us, you taking those records away, it's stupid. You taking the record away, Stupid. The whole thing. Stupid. However, these gentlemen acknowledged they broke a rule. And here's where maybe I think different than other people. If you break a rule that's at a rule when you broke it, going back and retroactively going back and stating, well, even though you broke a rule and it was a rule then, we're going to act like the rule was broken then, but it, we're going to act like the rule is broken now. So we're going back in time, 2010, 
fast forwarding and using a rule in 2021 and saying well 11 years later after you broke the rule that was in place back then we're going to use this rule now and give you back everything that that we took away when we shouldn't have back then that to me is wrong I believe and I always have believed that if you break a rule, there are consequences. You have to suffer said consequences. Same for these gentlemen here. I don't I don't like the rule at all. The rule doesn't make sense to me. But here we are. That's the rule. Go forward with it and live with it. It's not the end of the world. Also, Ohio State fans still love these men. Ohio State fans aren't mad at them for what they did. Now, granted, it was stupid. I mean, if you know the rule, you know you could possibly get in trouble for it. Why in the world, and being in trouble it means getting suspended for a game, why in the world would you go forward and actually do something that could jeopardize you playing and completing the entire season? Hello, make it make sense. Nobody can, because it doesn't. And that's how I feel right now. It doesn't make sense. It, it, it hasn't. And now they're trying to do something and get something back that was taken from them, which shouldn't have been. Even though, even though they broke the rule and knew what might happen to them if they did. I think Reggie Bush with his Heisman, having that being taken away from him, was dumb, but it happened. I believe the punishment for these Tattoo 5, these, these gentlemen, getting their records taken away from them, I think it was wrong, but it happened. And I don't think the NCAA should go back and reinstate something from back then because these guys knew the rule. These guys knew the punishment to said rule, and they still decided to break said rule and get some free tattoos. I hate it. I really hate it. But that's just the way the cookie crumbles. One thing that is the way that the cookie crumbles, the Washington football team has finally, or they are slowly, slowly working through the process to get names for the football team and they have five of them that are proposed names for a new name and logo during the 2022 football season notice i have not gone in on the washington football team for the sexual allegations that have been come well sexual infractions not so much allegations i think that there's enough evidence to say that this stuff really happened there's so much evidence coming out washington post is doing things uh doing articles and so many different publications and uh, newspapers websites are investigating the washington football team the 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 culture inside the organization I'm not going in on them. I am not. Uh, no, that's I. I'm not. Especially as I would want to. I don't. Uh, it may happen up. It may happen down the road as more information does come out. But Washington Football Team or WFT, as you may see it, hashtag WFT, revealing new name and logo in 2022. Of course, it's going to be new name and logo in that season. I personally don't mind the new logo and the way that the jersey is. It's very clean, very boring, um, has a little pop to it. Looks like a practice jersey at times, but when you don't have a team name, you're called the Washington football team. Everybody makes jokes, but I think what they did with the color scheme, I, I think it was very nice and very clean the way they did it. So here are the five proposed names for the Washington football team. The Monarchs, excuse me, the Washington Monarchs, Washington Presidents, Presidents, Washington Monarchs, Washington Presidents, Washington Red Wolves, Washington Commanders, Washington Renegades. Let's just stop it right now. I understand the DC connection. I understand everybody's like, oh, well, let's go ahead and, and go old school with the name. Uh, Monarch, Monarchs, no, this is not the 1920s. Sorry, bye. Presidents, no. Once again, bye. Bye, bye, bye. Get away from here. 
Get that out of here. No, sorry. Bad idea. Uh, the Renegades. Eh, okay, Commanders. Bye. My top two options are Renegades and Red Wolves, and I'm just going to go out on a limb. Let's stick with the animal. Go with the Red Wolves. Let's end this thing now. You may say, well, Jay, they just went away from something with the Red. Okay. What's a Red Wolf? Look it up. Is it okay? Fine. I don't think that would get this far in the process of getting a new team name if Red Wolves was offensive offensive is it monarchs or presidents or commanders or renegades or any of those words offensive if they are to you because oh i have ptsd sorry i don't mean to make a lot of that situation but nah red wolves fine move forward with it not spending much time on this topic as i really thought i might but Red Wolves seems like the perfect name, well, the ideal name among these five for WFT. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jay Steelers Podcast. If you enjoyed what you listened to during this episode, please head to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review and a rating. It is greatly, it will be greatly appreciated. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at jstevens07. You can also send all of your emails to jstevenspond at gmail.com. This has been episode 213 of the Jay Stevens Podcast. I will see y'all next time.